0: You know, if, if last week's message and this week's message were a series, it would probably be called Things That Make You Go, hmm, because uh, both of them started in that way for me. Uh, you know, there are two types of things in this world that make you go, hmm. There are those things that you, that you just don't understand or that you just can't answer. Um, like, if you try to fail and succeed, what have you done? I can't answer that question. I don't know if there is a way to answer that question, but that question comes up. You know, why do we park on driveways and drive on parkways? I don't understand that question. Or the hardest for me, why do they put Braille on the drive through bank machines? I haven't that. It took a minute, but okay. Right. And there's the things that you look at and you don't get it until you look at it again. You know, the story of the, the ham that, that was in the pan and the woman had to ask, why or why do we always cut the ham in half? I don't understand. And as she went back to the generation, she found out when grandma and grandpa got married, they didn't have a pan big enough. Nothing about the recipe, it was just that was what happened. Or the story of carrying laundry and how you've come to an agreement on laundry takes less than 45 loads. Just, you know, I didn't understand where she was coming from, and she took a second look. And so that's one of those passages this morning in scripture. Our text this morning. It's always made me go, huh. for a while I struggled with our story. It's over in Mark's gospel. And there in Mark's gospel, Jesus has just fed the, the 4,000. He's given a, a warning against the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. And then there in verse 22, we find our text. And it says, this page is written in my, my real Bible, so let me read this small text with my eyes this morning. I can't see that either. I'm just blind. Okay. They came to Bethsaida. They brought the blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. Spinning on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. It looked like trees walking. Again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes and the man looked intently and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Would you pray with me? Father, God, we come to you right now, and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time, Father, and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel this morning. May the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake, and all God's people said, amen. It's a strange story. Um. Uh, Little things going on there, and then there are lots of theological things that I could really get into. and I like to chew on this story. I've chewed on it before with a few of you. The idea that Jesus has to touch him twice, has to do something twice—that's always bugging me. But that's not—that's not our message this morning. This morning, I read this story overall, and I see some things uh, that talk about God working in our life. And the first thing I see is that sometimes we go where God wants us through someone else's actions. They brought him. It doesn't really say who brought him. They brought him. Some people brought him. Now it's unclear whether it was the disciples who were bringing it, whether it was somebody else, whether it was his friends, but, but somebody else is bringing this man to Jesus. And so often this happens. Sometimes we're going to go where God wants us to go through someone else's actions. Do you know the name George Truitt? George Truitt was a Baptist minister, Baptist pastor. For He pastored, he was one of the, one of the two pastors of First Baptist Dallas in a hundred year history there in the 1900s. He, he came to Dallas in the early 1900s and he was there until Criswell took over and then Criswell was there forever. He uh, he was a pastor there for 47 years, but he didn't surrender to ministry. He was drafted. As a young man in Georgia, it was discovered that he had a gift for speaking and people just kept saying, you know, man, you need, to, you need to use that. And he thought he was going to be a lawyer. And his mother, he found her, often praying for her family, for her husband, and for her children for their salvation. And in answer to those prayers, he accepted Jesus at the age of 18. And his family moved to Texas. And he eventually followed them to Texas. And he joined White Wright Baptist Church. And there he taught Sunday school. And regularly he would fill in on Sundays when the pastor was away. And it wasn't long before the Texas congregation noticed the same talent that was witnessed by the Georgia people first. And so church members would often discuss his talents amongst themselves and even told Truett that he ought to be a preacher. And Truett said, no, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to do this. But the congregation was convinced that it was God's will for Truett to be a preacher. And during a Saturday night church meeting in 1890, Truett entered the sanctuary, and he was immediately uh, struck by the odd nature of the fact that it was a full room that was usually sparse for that kind of meeting. There was usually nobody there, but there were lots of people there that night. And during the meeting, a deacon made the motion that the church call a presbytery, presbytery to ordain Brother George W. Truett to the full work of gospel ministry. The motion was promptly seconded, and the people voted in favor of True's ordination on the spot. He was shocked and he was embarrassed and he stood before him. And he said, Please, please, wait six months to consider this. But the church said, No, we can't wait another six hours. And he says, His, his quote was there, I was against the whole church, against a profoundly moved church. There wasn't a dry eye in the house. And one of those supremely solemn hours of the church life, I was thrown into the stream and I just had to swim. <laughs> he was he was he, he he later, I I admit, but probably accepted this call. But it wasn't something that he wanted to do. The church said, this is what we feel God is calling you to do. This blind man didn't make his way to Jesus by himself. Someone else brought him there. And sometimes it's not us that moves us where God wants us to be. It's somebody else. There's somebody else working around and doing things. I don't know how many friends I've had who they have gone places because someone else just passed their resume out without them even knowing and then they were there because God moved in that situation? Or how often have have you found yourself in a place that you didn't think you were going to be at because someone else asked you to be there, and in the midst of that, God used you? In the midst of that, God took your faithfulness and and brought you where you needed to be. And so we find here that sometimes someone else takes us to God, but then we also find that to bring us where he wants us to be, God has to bring us out of where we were. He brought him out of the village. That's one of those weird things to me. I read this and it says, and so he took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. He brought him out of where he was. He brought him out of where he lived. He brought him out of where he was involved. He brought him out of all the things that made up his life where he was comfortable, where he was known, where he was taken care of, where he lacked any responsibility. He stripped him of all that by pulling him out somewhere. We don't know if he took anybody else with him. We don't know. We know that he took him by the hand and pulled him out of the town, pulled him out of the village. We don't know if the guys who brought him went with him. We don't know what happened. We just know that he had to be removed from the place that he was at before Jesus would ever work on him. Because there, it wasn't like the dirt outside town was magical. It wasn't like there was a line where Jesus stepped over this line and I can do miracles, but here I can't. Jesus pulled him out of there for a reason. And so often we have to be pulled out of where we were to go where Jesus wants us to be. We find that that Jesus wants to begin to take all these things from us. How often do we find ourselves holding on to something that God wants us to let go of? God, I I don't want to let go of this yet. I'm going to hold on to this. This is going to be something. Eventually, I may get there, God. But right now, this this is something that I want. And God says, you've got to move from here to get to there. You can't stay over here and go where I want you to go did you know you really can't drop forward by looking in the rearview mirror? You might be able to try. You're not going to be very successful. You're going to find yourself running over things. You have to have that forward vision. And God will take you and pull you out of somewhere that you are to take you where he wants you to go. Because so often we find ourselves in our comfort zone and when we're there, we're not going to listen. Man, I'm comfortable I'm comfortable. This is, this is where I'm gonna sit. This is where I'm at. Think about a blind man. And that and that he have to take care of him. There were no, there were no there was no technology, nothing to help. He simply had to be taken care of. And that's that was that was his plot in life in biblical times, right? He would sit around and people would come by and put money in his can. That was it. No responsibility, nothing. There becomes a comfort in this, right? Becomes, this is what I do. How often do we get into a routine? Anybody have a routine? Sometimes God has to disrupt our routine to get us to where He wants us to go. We're not happy with that, man. There are some mornings we get up and you don't have time for a cup of coffee. Anybody else's day turned off because you don't get your coffee? I mean, you know, you don't get your coffee and everything's gone. But there are times when you got to get up and you got to go. And Starbucks doesn't make a good cup of coffee. They may make they may make some good good flavored drinks, but they're coughing? That's like drinking motor oil. Go somewhere else. I mean, I'll try motor oil, so I would not know. Um, those are back in my youth days. Um, I mean, you know, when you don't have that, and, and, and your entire thing is disrupted, that's when God begins to speak sometimes. It's in it's in the hardness of the day. It's in the hardness of that routine being broken. Because so often we get into auto you ever been an autopilot? There was, a, there was a, a nine-month period where I, I worked two jobs. Uh, I worked at UPS in Fort Worth. I worked at our family store in Perrin, and I went to school at Weatherford College. So I would get up at midnight, I would drive an hour to Fort Worth and work at UPS from two in the morning to about 6.37 in the morning. I would get in my car and I would drive to Weatherford College and I would go to class from 8 in the morning to 1.30 in the afternoon. I would get in my car and drive the 30 and 45 minutes down back roads to Perrin to go to work and I'd work at the parents store from 3 in the afternoon to 9 at night. And then I would get in my car and drive the 30 minutes home to Mineral Wells and get my pizza on the way by Domino's because I couldn't cook by that time And go to bed about 10.30 after homework and get back up at midnight and do it again the next day. Did it for nine months. And there were days when I would drive to UPS at midnight and not remember how I got there. (laughs) Because I was on autopilot. That's what happens in our spiritual life. We get on autopilot. And God has to break up the routine and bring us out of where we are to take us to where he wants us to be. And so God, Jesus pulls him out of the town, and he brings him out, and then he spits in his eyes. This isn't like the other the other instance in the Bible where it says Jesus spit and made mud and made the rubbing rubbed the mud in his eyes. This says Jesus spit on his eyes. Maybe that's why I took him out of town because people would go, "What are you doing?" I mean, it, that's weird, right? When Jesus or God works in our lives, sometimes it's uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable for me. I mean, I know everything that's going on here because I'm looking back on it after 2,000 years, so I know the outcome, but he's spitting on this man. If I walked up to you because you had broken your wrist and I spit on your wrist, what would you do to me? You'd kick me or hit me probably, right? This is Jesus walking around and he goes... Then Jesus, he wants to see, and he says, okay. And he pulls him out of town, and he goes, can you see? I got spit in my eyes. I can't see anything. He spit on him. It's uncomfortable. When God begins to work, he does things that we don't understand. I don't understand why Jesus spit on him. I don't get it. I'm never going to understand why he had to spit on him. I don't get it. I mean, and I don't think any commentator really knows. They can make guesses. They can start to say, well, it's probably because they don't know. They don't know why Jesus spit on him. Why did he spit here and he made mud here? Why did he just say the word and send it here and he had to touch them here? We don't know why. They're just there for reasons. But God does things that make us uncomfortable. He starts to do things that make us go, wait a minute, God, I don't like this feeling. It couldn't have been a pleasant feeling to that man. Y'all don't read scripture like I read scripture, I don't think, because I'm sitting here going, I can't imagine if all of a sudden, I think this guy's going to say, be healed, and all of a sudden he goes, (laughs) what are you doing? What's going on? It's uncomfortable, and there's, there's a reason for it. He's probably going, okay, what was that? There's a reason for it. We don't know the reason. And sometimes God does something in your life that you don't like and there's a reason for it. And we might not know the reason. But it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us... I don't want to knock on that door, Jesus. I don't want to give up that song, Jesus. I don't want to give up that show. I don't want to give up doing this thing that I've always done because, because it's part of who I am. And Jesus starts to go, but if you know me, you're no longer who you used to be. You're somebody different. It might be uncomfortable. It may change things up, but it may make you kind of just go, I don't don't get it. Why? Why, God? And I've always been interested here. This isn't a point. It's kind of a a rabbit, but... He says, Do you see anything? And he says, I see people. I've always wondered how you knew there are people. But they look like trees walking. Trees walking. Hmm. You know, we're all rooted in something. We're all rooted in something. He's looking at people around him. They're probably Pharisees, they're Sadducees, they're the disciples. They who aren't getting it. They're, they're all these things, they have all these roots. They're keeping them from experiencing what Jesus has for them. They're like trees walking around. So often we're rooted in something that we don't want to let go of. We, we, we think this is the soil we need to be in. And God has a soil over there that's so great for us. And if we would just get into it, we would prosper and we would grow. But we're stuck over here. We're stuck in this soil because we don't want to give it up. This is the soil we've always known because I've always known this. This is where I need to step. But Jesus says there's something better over here. You know, Jesus uses every situation to speak truth into our lives. He didn't just do this for the blind man. He didn't just do this for the blind man. The blind man is overjoyed to receive sight. But the reason he does the things he does here is because he's trying to teach a lesson to the people who are around him, namely the disciples. Because here in chapter 8, he is just fed the 5,000. Or the 4,000, whichever one you want to look at here. He's just at the 4,000. With just a little bit, right? He didn't have a whole lot. He feeds the 4,000 with some left over. The disciples are there. They see it. They take part in it. Directly after that, they like get in the boat and they start discussing the mountains themselves in verse 16 that they did not have any bread. you just watched him feed 4,000 people with a little bit of food and the very next thing is you're going to have any bread. We're going to be in trouble. Man, why didn't we get bread before we left? Why didn't we go to Circle h too and get bread? We need bread. I mean, we're going to have to have it. And, and they're so focused on all of these things. They're not getting it. He's just fed them and they get the boat and they worry because they don't have lunch. And he's teaching them that you have to come out and trust. You have to understand that sometimes you're not going to get it. Sometimes you're not going to understand. He's going to say, I want you to follow me over here. And you're going to go, why, Jesus? I don't want to go there. I don't want to be in that spot. I don't want to be in that place. I don't want to be the person that somebody looks at and says that to. I don't want to be the one to stand up and say that what everybody else believes in this world is sin is sin. Man, when they're, when they're thinking, man, oh, it's not sin anymore. Whatever, whatever I want to do, I get to do. It's not hurting you. It is. Sin is still sin. It hasn't changed. And so often, we don't want to be that person. We don't want to be that person because, well, judge not that you be judged. Okay? I'm not throw out too many future sermons here. But, you know, he follows that with don't throw your pearls before swine. Just thought I'd that i would throw that out We don't want to be the person who calls out the truth. We don't want to be the person who stands here and people go, you're judgmental. I don't have to agree with how you live your life to love you. People don't like to hear that. They don't like to hear it at all. Because if our problem is that we identify with the things that we do rather than the person that we are. Remember a while ago when I said, I don't want to give this subject. to I've done this all my life because it's part of who I am, but it's not part of who you are. It's part of what you do. Who you are is something else. We have to quit defining ourselves by the things that we do and define ourselves by the person that we are. And part of the issue is we're all guilty of that. Because somehow we've begun to boil down classification in the church to sinners and saints. (laughs) There's only one classification in the church (laughs) we're sinners. We're only saints through Jesus. I, I don't care how good we are. You know, I, I don't care if we follow every rule and we check off every box on the offering envelope and we'll open everything else. It doesn't matter because we're only saints to Jesus. We're still sinners. And my sin is no it is no less than your sin, and your sin is no greater than my sin. Jesus is looking at these disciples and saying, are you you missing this? Are you missing the fact that you can just trust me because you just watched me feed these people and now you're worried about lunch? Now let me show you this guy. I'm going to pull him out of where he was. I'm going to do something that you're going to go, why are you spit on him, Jesus? I'm I'm amazed that the disciples didn't say, what are you doing? I mean, you know, they're they're not shocked. Nobody's shocked in this story. He says, come on out. And he looks at the man, and he says, don't go back. Don't go back. Don't even go into the village. Oh, what? Jesus, that's that's where I live. That's that's where my friends are. That's where my family is. That's, That's everything that I know When Jesus brings you out and sets you up, you can't go back to where you were. That's hard. There are friends that I have who were dear friends to me in certain times of my life that are no longer in my life in a real way because I can't go back to where I was. Because when I go back to where I was, I begin stepping off into who I used to be. Hmm. It's easier to pull somebody down than it is to pull somebody up. I always love action movies, and somebody somebody else come by and help them up or something like that? Because after a while, unless it's Superman, you can't lift somebody up this hang on. his dead weight, right? You can't because it just becomes too hard. And what happens is, if we go back to where we used to be, all of a sudden the things that used to drag us down begin to drag us down again. They begin to make us go, well, it wouldn't hurt just this once. Because I've even seen it uses as a ministry excuse. Honestly. I have friends who go, well, it won't hurt me to do this with them just once because, but as well, hey, that's how I'm going to get through to them. Okay. But it's so easy to step off into what you used to be if you're back where you used to be throughout the Bible, Jesus said or God said over and over again, don't go back. When he brought Israel out of Egypt, what would he say over and over and over again? Don't go back. They would come out. They would get to the edge of the Red Sea and they would be what? They would whine, Oh, we should have just stayed. We need to go back. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord and see parts they go through and they get out there and they're hungry again. And then, well, let's just somewhere else. Well, well, I don't like how this is going on. We're going to speak against Miriam. Well, let's go back. Let's not go back. And then take a vote at one point. Let's just go back. And Moses says, no, you're not going back. Over and over and over again, don't go back. That's, that's the part. When Jesus brings us out, we don't go back. Proverbs twenty six eleven says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. When we continue to go back, it's just foolishness. We can't live where we used to be. We have to live where God wants us to be. We can't go back there because He wants us there. Christianity is a future-focused religion. We're not supposed to live back there. Most of the time when we find ourselves stuck somewhere in our spiritual life it's because we're looking back there. We're going, I just can't believe I failed again. I, I just... And I can't get over this sin that I did back here, and I just can't get past this. Even though God has thrown it as far as the east is from the west, he doesn't remember it anymore. By golly, I remember it. And I'm going to keep holding on to it, and I'm going to keep hammering it in, and I'm going to give the devil a weapon to use against me, because all the time I'm going to look back and go, oh, and he's going to go, "Yep, yeah, see? You're no good. 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 All right. <laughs> You're no good. The only And I'm looking forward and I'm looking to him and he changes who I am. I don't need to worry about what's back there because what's up here is what's important. And what's back there is just a memory. It's gone. I don't have to deal with it. It's gone away. It's forgotten. But when we go back there and try to live there, we find ourselves dragged down back into that and we're back where we used to be. I don't spend a lot of time with... My family. My extended family. Because I don't know that they're they're a good influence on me. They're I love them. But I can't hang out. Because when I hang out with them, I'm not the person God has called me to be. I'm that person that I used to. A person that, you know, was always getting in trouble for fighting somebody, always. All the spankings I've ever had in my life were somebody else's fault. <laughs> <laughs> they made me fight, you know, that's, that's it. Maybe this morning you have been struggling with something that God is trying to do in your life. Maybe he's wanting to take you to a place that you've never been. Maybe he's asking you to wade deeper than you've ever been before. And you just don't know if you can go that deep Because you don't know what's out there. And you're just afraid. It's time to say, okay, God, I'll go. I'm going to trust. Because I know you did all these things that I'm told about in Scripture. And I know that you fed the 4,000. I know that you've healed the sick and you raised it. I know you did those things. So if you want me to go there, Jesus, I'm going to go. Now's the time to say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Maybe you today you've been struggling with what you're rooted in. Maybe God has, has been saying, you know, you need to give this up. And you've been fighting it. Man, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to give it. No, I don't want to give that up. Because if I give that up, it's going to change. Yes, things are going to change, but that's okay because God wants us to change. That's the whole definition of a Christian. That's hard for us as Baptists sometimes, right? We don't like change. But the whole definition of being a believer is change. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. Maybe this morning you keep going back. Maybe you break away and you get out, and something keeps pulling you back in. And when you get over there, you don't like the person that you used to be, that you're becoming again. Now's the time to say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to go forward. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open, I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to start in missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning you never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never known the one who, who can take all that in the past and put it in the past because he pays for your sins so that you can go to the future. Now's the time. We're not promised tomorrow. We're promised today. But wherever you're at, whatever your need, give it to him. pray. Father God, we come to you right now and thank you and praise you for your blessings.